0: Holy is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain Forever we will worship, we will sing We will stand before you and proclaim That you are the Lord
1: somebody and tell them, the baptism good morning sorry we were
2: dealing with a little friend that was floating in here it's gone how are you do you have a good weekend in perfect weather East Texas well we are so glad to have you here this morning we have four people being baptized and what a way to start Uh, let me explain what baptism is and is not according to the scripture for those of you who don't understand Uh, Jesus was baptized And uh, when he was baptized, it wasn't because he needed to be saved. He was God. He was perfect, sinless, but he was submitting himself at that point of his life, around 30 years of age, to let everybody know that his life was no longer his own. He was here to serve his Father. And that is the baptism that uh, that we perform at Carpenter's Way. A person comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in much the same way the thief on the cross did, by crying out to him, realizing that he's perfect and forgiving, and we're not. And when you call out on the Lord, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And all the people that are being baptized this morning have accepted Christ's offer to forgive their sin. So what we're doing right now is as a result of that and understanding that, They now want you to know that they're here to walk with God. Their life is not their own. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in our time in the Word. But man, we're glad you're here. For those of you watching on the internet, it is a privilege to have you worshiping with us today. Uh, But once again, we want you to know this isn't for salvation. This is because of salvation. So we're going to start uh, with Trevor. Trevor, uh, you want to say anything or you want me just to put you under the water? I'll put you under the water. Um, You're going to notice that... Uh, we have two fathers that are going to baptize their daughters today, and, and so you're going to go, I thought pastors could only do that. No, pastors only do that in the sense that they shepherd their kids. And as Trevor and I have met, and we talked about uh, his daughter Adelaide, you'll meet her. Uh, we talked about the responsibility of leading your kids to walk with God, and he wanted to start by being baptized himself because of the value of that and the statement it makes, and then he will turn around and baptize his daughter. You want to grab your nose? Okay, because if you don't, I'm going to get wet. We don't want me wet. (laughs) Trevor, I know you love God. And having heard your profession of faith and hearing that you want to walk with him now and tell everybody and raise your family to love the Lord, it is my privilege now to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray for Trevor right now. God, I thank you for this man's heart, and uh, Lord, he loves you, and he wants to walk with you in an authentic and real way, Father, as he and I have met, and and Lord, we have wrestled through the years with your plan for he and his family, And, and Father, the truth is you've done things in his family that he don't like, but he trusts you, Lord. And for us to have breakfast the other day, I was so blessed. The rest of my day, I was encouraged to hear that he wants to walk with you and he's willing to learn from the scripture and he wants to raise his daughter to walk with you. And he has a heart for people, compassion. We thank you for what he does in this community as a first responder. And we pray you would bless him and protect him and keep him safe. But I pray now, Father, that you would first and foremost use him as a man of God in this community and second of all, as the father of his daughter, that she would grow up to see him walk with you, and she would walk with you as a result of his testimony in his life. So bless this family, bless him, bless his ministry, bless his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
3: This is my daughter, Adelaide. For the last nine and a half years, she has brought me so much joy. It's been unreal at times. Um, back earlier at the month, probably late of last month. I just got in from a 36-hour shift on the ambulance down in Livingston. And they came and told me that she had made the most ultimate decision of all her life for eternity. And it it filled me with a lot of joy. And last summer I had a friend that I had to witness to because she was diagnosed with a uh, potentially fatal infection, and she was extremely scared, and I didn't know how to comfort her, so I emailed Mark, and he gave me some things to go over with her and let her know that she has a love and a a loving father out there that loved her more and more than she will ever understand, and so I I went through the same thing with Adelaide, and the... Answers that she would give me when I'd ask her questions, they weren't textbook answers, they weren't Bible answers, they were Adelaide answers.
4: <laughs>
3: and because of that, I absolutely knew that she had a full heart belief in Romans 10, 9 and 10. So Adelaide, <laughs> knowing your confession and your love for the Lord and ask him into your heart, I baptize you, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
5: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this precious young woman, or that's chosen to... Uh, give her life to you, and Lord, for her wanting to be baptized, that's a big deal. Lord, just for everyone to know that she's a Christian now. Father, we thank you for that. God, I just pray that you would just guard her heart, guard her mind, grow her up um, into the godly young, young woman that you would have her to be, Lord, to accomplish your purposes for her life. God, I just pray that you would fill her with great joy and great excitement in that, and Father, I just thank you so much just for... This family, God, their desire to walk with you. Uh, even more than that, their desire to grow, to know you. God, you've just given them a hunger to grow and to know you, and I thank you for that. And that Adelaide will see that uh, and just be encouraged by her parents. God, we just thank you so much again for this day and this moment, and that you would forever concrete that in her mind when doubts come. And if Satan throws those darts uh, of doubt and disbelief, she will can look back and say, no, <laughs> no. I am a Christian and I remember, God, we just thank you for for assurance. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things, amen.
2: When uh, a family talks with us about baptizing, especially their children, and we we talk about uh, uh, the father wanting to baptize, it's one of the questions. Um, when a father shows interest in wanting to baptize, we have a conversation. Um, I, I know maybe a lot of you grew up in church or whatnot, but uh, when we do baptisms here it's a real con- I mean it, it, it's a conversation. this isn't just a traditional thing it is just it's not a sacrament it's an ordinance and it's not part of growing up it's part of growing up in the Lord and you have to understand and uh, when the Taurus girls wanted to be <laughs> it's kind of freaking me out because. <laughs> i got to tell you, when she was little, she would come in and visit Wendy. And uh, I would always come out and say, hi. And I don't know if you know this, but I can be rather loud. And it scared her to death. She would hide. And so I decided that I probably should give her a break, or she's going to have a, a coronary. And then one day, I turned around, and look at her. She's 12. She's beautiful. And she'll be getting married soon. And I was watching Jeremy. He didn't seem to flinch at that. so. But uh, anyway, I called Jeremy this week, and I just said, "I said, hey, man, I know you want to baptize your daughter, so let's have a talk. And to hear a father say, I, I, I'm, I'm raising my daughters to love God. I, you know, I'm not a perfect guy, but I, I want them to know the Lord. I got to tell you, it, it just blesses me because, folks, too often in East Texas, it's about the pastor. And I got news for you. If it's about the pastor, your Sunday school teacher, it leaves when you get bad service at Applebee's. This is about walking with God as a family, in your homes, pastoring your family. And I'm so proud of this guy. Uh, I know I'm putting a target on your back, dude. It's all right. But, but, uh, but our, our conversations, men and women, look at this. Raise your kids to love the Lord. And if you're a single mom, raise your kids to love the Lord. It's the most important investment you'll make. I'm going to shut up or I'll start preaching here. But uh, Jeremy, why don't you introduce your girls. And I got my Michaela
1: right here. She's, she's a start in this whole thing started from whenever we first met and kind of guided me to where I am now. And then, of course, this little monster right here come along. And this is the rock between all of us right here. She's our our foundation. And then, I don't know, out in the crowd, I got my little man. And, I don't know, it makes me happy to see this happening. All right. Let me
3: do you first. Caleb, I baptize you today in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All
1: right. You ready? Ava, today I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
2: Woo! Mary Stringer is going to pray for this family.
5: so much for allowing us to be here today God I just thank you for the privilege to watch these young girls choose to follow you and I just thank you God that they are in my life they are such a joy and I as they walk through life God I just pray that you would bless them and constantly remind them that you're with them no matter what comes their way and I pray that myself and our church family that we would just be beside them to help them with any questions that they may have and for their parents, too, Lord, just help us to constantly be in your word and to just follow you. I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day and this beautiful family and their decision to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Yeah, you can clap. It's okay. <laughs> you know, it's awesome that every now and then we get, to, we get to participate in this as a family and just be reminded of what God has done in our lives and what he's doing at Carpenter's Way. It's just really, really cool just to be a, be a part of that. If you have your bulletin, would you pull that out? Let's, let's look at a couple things in there. Uh, first of all, before I forget, we need some help in the back. Um, we have guys and girls, or men and women, I guess it would be, that do a phenomenal job back here. And you guys never notice them because they're so good. And they're putting the words up on the screen. They're making us sound good. Um, but we do need some help. Uh, we have a couple positions as far as uh, putting the words up on the screen. Um, it's very basic. Uh, you don't have to have a lot of computer knowledge. We will train you. We'll show you how to do that. So if anybody is interested in that, uh, catch me after service or kill Pavard, one of us, and we can kind of talk to you about what happens. It's basically every four weeks you would be in here, and you would basically you'd be in charge of you know, following along with the songs and the words as Mark, uh, the scriptures as Mark preaches. So if you're interested in that at all, like I said, catch me or Pavard, and we'll kind of fill you in on, the, on the just the basics of what's going on. Um, every week we put a little flyer inside our bulletin about the uh, missionaries, different places that we support. This week uh, is CISC. If you guys are interested in volunteering, being a part of something, phenomenal organization, you guys can get plugged in over there. Uh, just one more thing I wanted to run through. Um, if you are interested in uh, finding out about Carpenters Way, becoming a member, uh, just wanting to know kind of you know, what, do, what do we believe in? How do we function? Uh, how does the church run? Those kind of things. Next Sunday, March the 5th, we'll be having our, I think it's every quarter we have one of these and it'll be in the library over here and it actually goes during service time. So if you're interested in that, that'll be next week. And the library will start somewhere around 9.45 or so. So if you're interested, just, you don't have to sign up or anything. Just go in there and uh, you'll get to meet pretty much all the pastors and, and find out, like I said, just kind of how everything runs. So with that said, if you guys, uh, with an offering, if our ushers will come up, we're going to take up our offering. Um, like Mark always says, if you're visiting, uh, don't let this distract you. This is something that us as a family have decided that we're going to commit to. Uh, we're going to commit to, um, you know, supporting guys like CISC and the Pregnancy Help Center, Mosaic, and then our different uh, missionaries around the globe. And so if, it's, if you're visiting, uh, just let the plate pass by. Um, and then um, if you're here and you've, uh, you know, you've committed to this, let's, uh, let's, let's hold our end and let's, let's give to the Lord. So if you'll pray with me. Father God, we thank you for what you're doing at Carpenter's Way. As we get to watch these baptisms and see, God, just, you're changing lives. You're doing things here, and, and then we get to be a part of it, God. And, um, I ask, Lord, that um, as we come together, I ask that you would remind us of just how blessed we are to to live in a nation that we don't have to fear, we don't have to worry about um, what's going on, is somebody going to come in and, and uh, hurt us, and, and and, God, there's so many Christians around the world right now who are having to make those decisions of, do I tell people that I'm a Christian or do I hide it? Do I, how, do, how does this look in our lives? And, and God, we're, we're in a way we're spoiled here, but we're so blessed, God, that you have allowed us to live in this place. So, God, I ask that we not take that for granted. And as we, as we give our offerings, Lord, that are going out to these people who are, who are reaching these places, that are reaching the, the lost around the world, God, I ask, Lord, well, that you would use it. I ask, Lord, that you'd use it for your glory. I ask, Lord, that you'd use it here in Angelina County, too, God, that we would be good stewards, that we would be able to reach the people that are in our community. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. your name, the mountain's shaking.
2: and love he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done but because of his mercy he washed
4: away our sins giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior because of his grace he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit
3: eternal life
1: you guys want to stand with us you can
2: Ask the Lord to help us do that this morning. Father, I ask you to help us turn our eyes upon you so that the things of the earth that so uh, sadden us, concern us, make us anxious, divert our attention from you, will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, you know, on, on mornings we have baptisms, I get to come in the back uh, during worship and I get to see things that I don't normally don't see. And I just want to thank the worship team. I you know, and, and the guys in the back, we have uh, men and women. When I walk in, um, I, I've, man, we've been doing this, Julie and I, for 33 years. And, uh, you know, when, when an instrumentalist stops playing and they're not playing their section and they start singing instead of talking or just staring, it, it blesses me. It means that the song means something to them. And I came in this morning and I look at the back and I, did, did Chad talk about these projectors and everything? Did he mention uh, Jeff and Micah, who is interning, Micah Bonn has been interning with Jeff, and Doug Douglas came in here, and we rewired all this. That's why they, they kind of failed a few weeks ago, and they're a little bit clearer this morning. If they're not clear, it's because your glasses need to be renewed, um, or you squint. That seems to work, too. But, uh, man, they did a lot of work, and we appreciate it so much. But I come in, and I, I got to tell you, uh, Jeff, how long have you been in ministry? A long, a long time. That's That's more than six months. So uh have you been in for 20 years you're dude everybody knows you're almost 50 go ahead tell us how many Been 25 20 long okay so a long time he doesn't know he's got to count on his fingers uh but you know when i walk in and i see my associate pastor singing too it just blesses me this is real this is real you know what they did in the baptismal to have a dad go before his daughter say i want to baptize you i'm going first what what a cool thing, what an amazing thing, and we're so blessed. I, I, I you know the church church is so usual because we do it our, most of us our whole lives, but you don't realize how precious this thing is. What a gift from the Lord, and it is personal. It's not business. It's 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 what we do for God to sustain our sustain our joy and our hope and our focus. And that's what we're studying right now. We're in 1 Timothy. We started in 1 Thessalonians. We're, we went to First and 2 Timothy, and we're going to go back to Thessalonians. We've, we've got many years left of this, so don't worry. Uh, but I, I hope that you're seeing as we work through this stuff that it's so deeply personal. And, and because of that, we have to be careful how we do this. That God has actually laid out ways for us to do this. And that's what we've been looking at, the roles that we play. We call them our lanes the lanes that each of us play. It's important that we understand those roles, whether we're shepherd or flock members or deacons or elders or Bible study leaders. We gotta know the responsibility that God has laid on us and what our job descriptions are. And we also have to be aware of the things in this life that easily distract us. If you are here this morning or watching on the internet, I I need to say this, if you are not a child of God, uh, then we want you to meet our dad through Jesus Christ, his son. We want you to accept his offer to forgive you your sin. You do not have to die in your sin. And you don't have to be Baptist not to die in your sin. You just have to call on the name of the Lord. And I want to make that clear this morning. That message is for you. And we're glad you're watching this morning. We're glad you're in this room. But I want to make it clear that what Paul is telling Timothy in 1 Timothy, what I'm about to share with the flock is not for the unbeliever. It's for the child of God. So don't don't get all sideways, upside down, going, what are you saying? Because it's not for you. If you come into my house and you see me telling my kids I want them to mow the yard, uh, you, you can't get upset about that. That's none of your business. That's family business. And it's really, really important for this, these two verses, we're gonna be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And for these two verses, you've got to understand that. This is this is a this is two verses that are for the children of God, because we have to be reminded that our value, the things that we value, our worldview is not like the worldview of those of you who don't know Jesus. Our worldview is to advance the kingdom. Our worldview is to serve the king. Our worldview is because we've been saved, not so we'll be saved. Because of what God has done, and he's made us positionally his children, because of all those things, it changes how we look at life. We may look just like you, but the Bible calls us aliens and strangers. We are the freaks, not you. And sometimes I have to apologize. The church acts like you're the freak, you're not. We're the freaks. We have been saved into a new worldview, a new life. We've been adopted out of our old families and into our new family, God's family. We are joint heirs with Christ in our morality. The, the level, the, the, the passions of our lives, the things that we should value are going to be different. And this text talks to that end, and because it uses some words that are intense, it's going to make some people go, ah, you know, so just relax, hear me out. Then we're going to have communion together. And uh, we invite all children of God to join us in communion this morning. If you're home in your living room, you need to get yourself some grape juice and a piece of bread. Because we want you to join us this morning. Uh, if you're not God's kid, just watch what we're doing. Just watch what we're doing and enjoy the fellowship of God's people. We're glad you're in our home. We're glad to have you watching us, and we want you to know we love you, and we want you to join us. Not so we can get your money, but money's nice. We want you to join us because we want you to spend eternity with us. We want to tell you how good our dad is, and we want you to know that for yourself because we don't deserve to be adopted, but we were and are. And there ain't nothing anybody, including Donald Trump, can do that, anything with that. We are positionally secure in our Lord. And sometimes we forget that, and so we start acting weird towards you. We get a little unloving and we get a little unkind and we get a little judgmental because our flesh rages, just like yours. And so this book, especially 1 Timothy, is reminding us what matters and what's important. So with that, I want to jump into our text. Uh, Actually, I want to show you a picture that you're familiar with. That is the Statue of Liberty, very, very clear. Um, Actually, not that clear because of the picture I took. But at the base of the Statue of Liberty, are the words written by M. Lazarus. It says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Man, the, the human heart of all mankind longs to be free from whatever it feels constrains it or controls it. Free from the tyranny of governments It longs to be free from the control of others within our community. Free to dream of whatever dream they wish to dream. Free to explore and have great adventures as each individual defines an adventure. Free to be happy in whatever way they define happiness. Free to love whom they wish to love or not to love whom they wish not to love. Every human being desires and longs to be free So much so that they are on the top of the political chain of command in their environment. Everybody longs for that. And the United States of America, as great and as effective as all effective democracies, was built on man's natural desire for self rule. As long as you don't hurt somebody else, that's the rule of law. Don't do harm. And this country, in its inception, was to feed that, that fleshly desire, and, and you know, just because it says selfish or self-centered or fleshly doesn't make it evil. But it was to feed that, free to worship, free, free to express yourself any way you want. Freedom is commonly defined as the ability to do life without the interference of government, local or nationally, or those around you. It's the desire to make your own choices on how you spend your money, on how you raise your family, or on what you do with your free time. But for the child of God, know it or not, you gave up your freedom the day you got saved. And that's our struggle. Let me show you what you did according to Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that, what? That doesn't mean he owns the manor, it means he owns everything. He's the Lord of lords. If you confess that he's Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is by believing in your heart believing in what that he's lord and then he raised Jesus from the dead by believing in that you are made right with god and it is by confessing with your mouth that you're saved as the scripture tells us anyone who trusts in him trusts in him what for life and liberty for what life is supposed to be trust in him for where you are in your station in life for where you find yourself for what you're born into Anyone who trusts him to take your sin away, it's a whole lot more than just not going to hell. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same, what's his his name? What's his identity? Lord, who gives generously to all who seek him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. The name of who? The The Lord, the ruler. Will be saved. For many Christians, many of us, the fact remains that we only became Christians to avoid hell after death. You don't want to die in your sin, do you? And to be truthful, Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord or the fear of his judgment is the beginning of wisdom. That, that's part of the deal. Nothing wrong with that. But unfortunately, the way that we present God in a relationship with God is just about hell too often, and we never get beyond that. What we have learned over the years together is that actually what happened to why Jesus died and why he offers us free grace is because he wanted to adopt us into his family, a new relationship, a new family, a new heir, a new future, a new focus. The words of Jesus who we claim to be followers of, in Luke 9, are very clear, but we don't exactly know what to do with these words. Look with me, 9.23, then then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, in case you're not clear, the reason he says that is because there were hundreds claiming to be his follower. If any of you really wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfishness. Now, now pause. I don't actually think he's dogging them for being self-centered. This isn't really a you bunch of selfish jerks. This is more of Actually, if you want to be my follower, you have to turn from those, your selfish ambitions, some have translated, your own desires, what you value in life, your own self-centered worldview. You have to then take up your cross daily, daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. This whole letter we've been studying between Paul and his apprentice Pastor Tim in 1 Timothy, who is the young pastor of First Church in Ephesus, He's having a rough time he's having a difficult time and actually the letter is about staying faithful in difficult times actually if you remember what we've studied over the last six years in the first five chapters if you'll remember what we studied paul's message to timothy was hang in there take a little wine for your stomach and it's gonna get worse those people right now that are causing problems in the church they're gonna leave and we find out later they're gonna start their own cult It gets worse. And then he tells the congregation, you don't have to freak out. Stay orderly. Stay in your lane. we got elders to protect the flock, the doctrine of the flock. We've got elders to pray for you and encourage you. We've got deacons to take care of the widows and those in need. We're going to take care of each other as a family, but understand, out there, it's going to get nasty and difficult. And what is worse? You're going to struggle in your heart with wanting your own way. Jesus even... um, this, this conversation uh, of, of picking up a cross and following Christ wasn't unique to one moment in time. In fact, you probably remember what Jesus said to Peter. Uh, a week after he's denied Christ, he cooks him breakfast, and after they take a little walk, and this is what Jesus says to Peter in John 21. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do what you liked, Peter. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Sign up. I mean, I, I want you to understand that too often the message of the church is just about salvation. and our, our, Even as we gather, we're just trying to get people saved. And we never take the saved and remind them that they weren't saved to save them from hell. They were saved so that they could perform God's past in this life for them eternity is where we inherit it all eternity is where our wealth is we're the freaks here and i know that's hard because someone was like this country was founded on blah 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 unless you were an indian the truth is that even as we designed a country it was built in to the interests of those who took the property i'm not saying right or wrong i'm simply saying that even built into a system of freedom in our country and even to the republic of texas Whoop, you forgot that. You know the firecracker stands are open. You guys aren't even paying attention, are you? sleeping this morning, wake up! The, the, the fact is that it is twice as difficult in Texas where we pride ourselves in self-defense and, and, uh, and being better than other states. You know, we're a republic. I, when I went to uh, London with Justin Kirkwood a few years back, we went to the Embassy of the Republic of Texas. We took a picture of the plaque, and that was... Justin Kirkwood's proudest moment being from <laughs> Tenaha. I thought it was cute. The, the reality is there's a lot of pride in this state, and you fought for it. Your grandparents fought for it, and that's a wonderful thing. Unless you were adopted out of it, and you have to be reminded that this isn't why you're here. Um, in 1 Peter 2... Peter wrote, get rid of all behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech like newborn babies. Crave spirit, pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. What? The full experience of salvation? I thought you had that at the moment you're saved. No, that's, that's the beginning. Birth, Birth, a six-day-old baby has only experienced six days of breathing oxygen. There's about 90 years left of breathing oxygen. The full experience of life to a junior higher is making it to the seventh grade. To a high schooler, it's making it to ninth grade or senior year, graduation. Boy, are they surprised on the first day of college, huh? Unless they go to a college that have safe spaces, but that's a different discussion for a different day. And then they graduate from college. I'm so tired of college, getting out, I'm graduating today. Today is graduation and I'm going to my baccalaureate service and nobody actually said that the word baccalaureate means the beginning because you think you've accomplished something great. Those of you who will be graduating high school this year, one Anna Wilkie, all you've done is what we expected of you, now do more. (laughs) The great achievement that everybody honors you, young men and women, over, we have done you a disservice. There are no medals for doing what's expected. There are only medals for doing more than what is expected. Millennials, wake up, you're being lied to. And happy lies are still lies. The the truth is that there is a life to be lived. He goes on in this text, and I don't have time to read it, but the very last verse, verse 13. Chris, if you could jump there. I want you you to see how this ends for the child of God. For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority. Oh, he's going to talk about politics. No, he's not. He's not talking about politics. You'll see what he's going to talk about in just a moment. Respect how much human authority? All of it. All human authority. That last line... Makes you question Peter's sanity. Do you know who was running Rome when he wrote this? Nero. You know, the crazy dude. Who took Christians and put them in with lions, and then he took the others who survived it, and he removed their skin and turned them into lampstands in his garden. Actually, Peter makes reference to the lions when he says, fear the lion who can destroy you, the lion of Judah because they were afraid of the lion that would eat their flesh. But he tells them to respect all human authority. And you can imagine what the flock was thinking. What are you talking about? That guy's crazy. Respect all human authority. What if he kills me? Respect all human authority. I want want to share something with you that we don't often think about. If you think we have it bad now, then you really don't have a grasp on what life was like in the New Testament. I just mentioned Nero when, when Peter wrote this. But I want you to understand that in Ephesus, the city that we are studying right now through 1 Timothy, uh, slavery was a common thing. I, I want to start by saying it's not slavery as in the European thing that we're used to or the American thing. We're not talking about kidnapping people off of islands or, or continents and because of the color of their skin. We're talking about a slavery that were basically that was, uh, that was actually endorsed as part of the legal system of that country. There were three major reasons uh, why a person became a slave in the New Testament times. Uh, the first reason you're, com- you're, you're comfortable with, you're familiar with, and that is if you owed somebody a debt that you could not repay, and uh, they took you to court. Uh, our polit- By the way, our judicial system is based upon Roman law, if you don't know, so it's very similar to American law. But they would take you to court, you would be sued in civil court, and eventually what would happen is the court would turn you over to servitude until your debt was paid. That was one way you became a servant or a slave. The second way you became a servant or slave is the way um, of the movie Gladiator. You could become a slave because Rome defeated your nation, and that was part of the spoils of war, so they owned you simply because they defeated you. The third way is when an individual would offer themselves as a slave in exchange for the master taking care of their family. You became a permanent employee of that family. You would become a willful slave, a bondservant. You might be thinking, why would anybody offer themselves? And this is where it's very different than the word slavery used to. In the times of the New Testament, it was not uncommon for an actual successful slave who served a period of time, whether because their nation had been defeated or their army had been defeated, or because they did owe a debt to somebody. If they were successful in repaying that debt and it worked hard, it was common for the family actually to bring them into the family business and give them a place of honor in that business. They would then offer themselves for the rest of their lives. They would go to the doorpost of the house. You know all that. It's an Old Testament theme too. And they would make a declaration that I'm giving up my freedom to serve this family. There are even extra biblical examples of slaves actually becoming leaders in the community. So when you, be, when you were a servant or a slave, a full-time slave or servant... It was often something, or at times it could become something, if you were good at it and your master was gentle, they could bring you into a position of of honor and respect, not only in the family, but in the community. It is also important to say that being a slave, however, is still not being free. It's still not being free. You can put a good face on it, you can say, oh, that makes logical sense, or it's not as bad as what we did. But the truth is, slave is slave, and everybody's heart wants to be free. They they don't want to work for the business. They want to own the business, right, laborers? You look at your boss, and you go, a couple changes in my life, and I would be in his seat or her seat, and she or he would be in mine. We long to rule our world. We long to rule our environment. And that was also the problem in Ephesus. Christianity, for a large degree, had spread through Ephesus, And some slaves had even been saved. Actually, you get the idea that there was a lot of slaves that were in the church of Ephesus. And so just like Paul has addressed pastors and shepherds, and just like Paul has addressed women and men and elders and deacons, he takes chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and he deals with slaves. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. All slaves should show full respect for their masters, so they will not bring shame on the name of God and His teaching. If the masters are believers, there's no excuse for being disrespectful. Those slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well-loved. You're obviously noticed in this text that Paul doesn't tell them to start a revolution. He doesn't tell them to run away. In fact, he actually tells them to stay and be honorable. There are six or seven places in the New Testament, if you count a whole book on it, the, book, the New Testament letter or book of philemon is all a letter to a slave to the owner of a slave sorry about the slave he's sending back to him but in the other places i want you to listen to the instructions ephesians 6 5 to 9 slaves obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear serve them sincerely as you would serve christ try to please them all the time not just when they're watching you As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. In Colossians 3, to 25, it says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give an inheritance as your reward, and the master you are serving is actually Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid, paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. 1 Peter 2, 18-21, the very next section of the passage I just read you that says uh, obey all earthly masters says this, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. That's underneath the guise of all earthly rulers. Do what they tell you, not only if they're kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. When we get to heaven, after Adam and Eve, you may now slap Peter. Only half of you are listening because that's funny right there. I mean that's tough not only if they're reasonable but even if they're cruel for God is pleased when conscious of his will you patiently endure unjust unjust, unjust treatment did you notice that in the middle <laughs> aware of his will Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beating for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in His His steps. Let me be clear. This is not suggesting that God is pro-slavery, but actually, God has a plan, and He puts you where He wants you for His purposes. In Galatians 3.28, it says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. What is going on here is that our identity and our worth has to be transferred from this life where it naturally is. YOLO, you only live once. It is a texting phrase. It's a lie. For the child of God, you live twice and the next one is forever. This one is temporary. For the, child who, the person who's not a child of God, if you are not his kid today, if you have never asked him to forgive you your sin, YOLO is true. My advice to you is fight the man to the best of your ability. The problem with fighting the man is there's never an end of men or women who rule you. There's always somebody more powerful. If you doubt that, I encourage you to take a close look at both the Democrat and the Republican Party. If you want to know what it likes to get to the climax of authority, look at the Republican Party that has the House, the Senate, and the White House and don't have a clue what to do with any of them. If you want to know what it looks like to be... Uh, Unified against that guy look at the last couple months of the Democratic Party where they they had what? 11 people running for the head of that party and they all don't like each other They're just pretending to to treat unify so that they could overcome Trump The problem is there is always there was a line in one of the Star Wars movies And the reason I don't remember which one is because it's not my favorite but do you remember when they're going through the middle of the planet and a big fish starts following that little spaceship thing they're in, and it goes to eat them, and as it bites the back of the spaceship, there's a bigger fish that comes along and eats that fish, and and one of the Jedi says, in all of wisdom, there's always a bigger fish. (laughs) It's a dumb line, but it works good in the message. The problem with feeding your flesh and living for personal pleasure is, eventually you need a bigger rush. Beer does not stay beer if you drink it to please yourself. Smoking a cigarette or, or marijuana does not stay, stay there. It just grows. Somebody going, no, that's not how it is. Eventually, porn, you need a bigger, more deviant form of porn to feed your flesh. There is always somebody else to be mad at, there's always somebody else to defeat. I give you the feminist movement that won't seem to ever be satisfied until our men are dead, and then when we're dead, they're going to look at us and say, get up and act like a man! There's always a bigger fish. Even for the church. If Jesus Christ is not our fish, we're always looking for a bigger fish. Our church does it this way. I, I just, uh, yeah, this weekend we spent time in Dallas, and there's a section of the highway that you uh, that you go down, and all these churches have church signs, and they're all advertising what they do, and it just seems to me that, when, when Church A advertises here and Church B advertises on the next sign and Church C advertises on the next sign, they're all in competition. That, that's why they all have church signs on the same highway. Well, not really. They just I mean, when you can't tell the difference between A, B, and C because they all have the same worship team up there, the reality is that this was a plan that involved you having relationships with your neighbors. It wasn't a plan to be advertised and sold like insurance. You, you see, how we live speaks to what we really believe one of the things my brother's been teaching me over the last couple years is culture is made up of three things. I know I've said it a bunch in this. Values, beliefs, and then what we do. And until my brother started talking to me about this and I started thinking about it, I would have said that our values and our beliefs are more, the most important of those three. And now I'm starting to realize, he's starting to point out, yeah, but you don't really believe what you say you believe if it doesn't affect you. It's not that the effect saves you or makes you a believer, it's just that if you really believe something. If I actually believe that something is going to make my life better, I'll act upon it. You know, how often do we say to each other, I love you, and we don't spend time with each other? If we really loved each other, we'd hang out. If we liked each other, that's what you do. If you want to know who you like and who your people are, ask yourself who you hang with. Behavior really is what sets our cultures. And in the church, we have a culture of lies. It's hypocrisy. We say, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, and we limit that to just difficult moments of our life. Yeah, my life stinks. It's so good to come to church and be reminded that God is still there. What about when your life is good? Do you still turn your eyes upon Jesus when you have more than enough money? When your kids are doing Phenomenal? Well, I, I don't need to turn my eyes upon Jesus. He's blessing me. That's how we get around that. I'm so blessed. How are you? I'm blessed. That's what Southerners say. I'm blessed. Wow. I, I, I'm not even, you, know, <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. i tell you what's really amazing is when we're in a hotel this weekend and Julie and I are going in for coffee and this African-American lady comes out that's serving us and we have a conversation with her and we find out she's had a difficult life but she's got this amazing smile on her face. She says, I am so blessed. I'm so blessed. I used to work here, and she goes into this thing, and we left going, my gosh, that woman has a secret. Do you know what her secret was? She told us, Jesus Christ. Because she put her worth on him, not on her experience. She was working at a morning buffet vendor at a Sheraton hotel in Dallas. She used to work at Starbucks, but her hope was in the Lord. You realize that the world is angry because their hope is not in the Lord. You realize that the church is angry because our hope isn't in the Lord. We only say it is. How can I say that? Because that may be our belief system and it may be what we say we value, but it's not how we act. You see, when you hear an apostle saying, you know, stay where you are when you're a slave, we go, what's wrong with that man? Actually, the question is, what's wrong with us? Jesus said from the very beginning, if you want to be my follower, you're going to have to put your selfish, worldly ambitions aside and follow me to the cross. You're going to have to go to Calvary with me. You all know what that means. Well, I don't want to die to myself. I like me. And just in case you're not clear, you like you a lot. No, I don't. I'm such a loser. You like yourself more than the average person. Because when you say that to people, you're actually actually asking them to tell you how wonderful you are. Oh, I'm such a wretch. One of the reasons I stopped doing altar calls is because I got sick of the same four people walking the aisle every week. And the last time I did one, way back in the day at Carpenter's Way, I finally said to a guy, I don't ever want to see you walk an aisle again. How about changing your behavior and thanking God for grace? I'm not your Savior, and your eyes are on the wrong place. His joy was in sinning, uh, doing what his flesh wanted to do, walking the aisle, praying with the pastor, crying in the front, and then going off with his life. How do I know that brought him joy? Because he did it every week. There's a point at which we have to believe what we claim to believe and go on with life as a believer. And in the New Testament, more than almost anything else, in the New Testament letters, we are called joint heirs with Christ. We are told by the apostles over and over to put our hope in the Lord. We are told over and over to put our wealth, position our hearts in the place where our riches and wealth are not eaten by moths or not destroyed by thieves or taken it's, it's, they're sealed and secured by the God of the universe. And we go, Amen, preacher. I need a better job because I feel like such a loser being a manager at Jack in the Box. I deserve to be a doctor, a cardiologist. What if God wants you serving the Lord as a manager at Jack in the Box? Oh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't want that for me because God blesses those who earnestly seek him. Not now he didn't bless peter peter got what was coming to him he was going to be crucified and that's why he was taken captive because he denied christ before that's not why it's because god had a plan for his life do you remember when 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 uh, jesus redeemed saul he tells ananias who doesn't want to meet with him that you got to go tell this guy all the suffering he has to do in my sake and Jesus tells Paul that himself, you're going to suffer for me, so much so that he's convinced by the end of Acts that he should go to Jerusalem. And people are saying, God has told us that if you go to Jerusalem, you are going to be arrested and killed. And he's like, I know. They're like, no, you, know, you shouldn't go there. He goes, no, that, that is my calling. God told me. Don't you know you're going to end up in jail? Yeah. Doesn't that bother you? Yeah, No. I am going to be given the privilege to preach the gospel to judges and jailers and prisoners and kings, and that is my task. You come to a part of, like, 1 Timothy, and you kind of go, what? What? You want me to be a slave? (laughs) What? Do you not know what I'm facing? In 1 Corinthians 7, 20 to 24, look at this talking about slavery. Each of you should remain as you were when God called you.
4: What?
2: Are you a slave? Don't let that bother you. Now, if you get a chance to be free, take it. Talking about finishing your task. You you can take it. We're not saying you, you, you shouldn't take it. We're simply saying, stay as you are if you need to. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. In other words, the world may look at you as somebody's property, but God doesn't. He looks at you as his property. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. How about that? The slave knows they're a slave. He just wants them to understand they're not a slave to their earthly master, they're a slave to the eternal master. And the free person who thinks they're free, like Americans, we forget that we're slaves of God. Bond slaves, by choice. You see, I know this is confusing, but I want you to understand, to attain your position of child of God, that is a free gift. It's offered to you. You just accept it. But to be a good kid, that's when you sacrifice. There is great cost to that. You want to be my disciple? You really, really want to do that? That's why we do the baptism separate of salvation. The picture is taking somebody and putting them underneath the water or the ground and bringing their saying, I am being brought into new life. This is not my own life anymore. I'm now going to live it for the king of kings. I'm not going to live for pleasure. Let me be clear. There's a lot of stuff in this life that will make you feel good. A little bit of alcohol or a lot of alcohol will make you feel good. You will forget your problems. You'll wake up with a new set, especially if you vomit it all over somebody's car. But the old problem will be dealt with for a few hours anyway. If you're hyper, smoke a joint. Every time I say that, I get emails. Did the pastor really say smoke a joint? Yes. Please pay attention to the context. If you're sick of your spouse, find a new one. In case you're not clear, nobody would be committing adultery if there wasn't a rush involved. The truth is, we don't do those things because we don't value our desires of our flesh. We value the desires of our daddy. That's why we don't do them. Not because we're going to go to hell if we do, but because we've been bought with a price. And verse 23 in 1 Corinthians 7 says, God paid a high price for you. You were bought by him. So don't be enslaved by the world, even to the desire to be free, to do whatever you want. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. God valued you when he saved you, no matter what your station in life. So although it's good if you can get free from the earthly bonds, go ahead and buy the -the jack-in-the-box. But don't forget that you're really not in charge of even the -the jack-in-the-box because you've been bought with a high price. So the king of the universe, he's the head manager of all managers. There's always a bigger fish. And for the child of God, it's God. He's the biggest fish of all. And if we're honest, most of us live our lives as if we're not accountable to him at all. We're just saved. I want to remind you of a verse that I, two verses I always take you back to. It's Ephesians 2, 8-10 that really says this in a hidden kind of way. God saved you by his grace when you believed you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it for we're God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus now. So now we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. And I want to add, and a lot of them are going to hurt. Now, but not later. He's made us. He's placed us long ago in the station in which we find ourselves to serve in that area. If we were all doctors, who would minister to the people at Jack in the Box? If we were all principals, who would minister to the students in the class? If we were all laborers, who would minister to the wealthy? Well, why can't I be that? You know, I just want to remind you of how Robin Williams ended his life. I want to remind you, those of us who are older, how many times Johnny Carson got married. It's not because they're happy, friends. I know that when you don't have wealth, there's a tendency to say, if I only had a few more dollars, I just want you to keep your eyes alert and looking around you at reality. If you get everything you want, including the President and the Senate and the House and all the right members of your family, and all the right jobs, and you're the richest person in the community, I just want you to know that still won't make you happy, because I met that guy, and he's not happy. The only thing that will bring you peace is your daddy. Your daddy in heaven. And walking with him and trusting him. Giving up the fight to him. So in 1 Timothy 6.1, And I know some of you get frustrated because it's like, I thought you were teaching verse by verse. I did, but you have to understand what's going on before you get to the text. And now I don't even have to preach the text because it's going to make sense. All slaves should show full respect for their masters. And you know why, because I already told you. But he gives a reason. So they won't bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. So this is referring to unsaved masters. You see, a lot of times in New Testament times, when you became somebody's slave, you took on their religion as well. Well, these guys are getting saved. And if they start rebelling, what's going to happen in Rome is the government is going to believe that this is a a revolutionary cult and they are going to squash the Christians like bugs. And what Paul is saying is you don't want to bring shame on God's name, you don't want to bring shame on the kingdom. And not only that, your job in that circumstance is to try to reach them for the Father. So respect them, stay in your station. That's your lane. I don't like it. It is what it is. Take it up with the one who planned your life. Take it up with the one who did it, who, who, who organized, who placed you there. If you believe God is sovereign, then He's sovereign. You were born into the family you were born in, for better for worse, but for whatever ever reasons God has, if we trust Him, He put us there. The second verse, 1 Timothy 6 2 if the masters are believers that is no excuse for you being disrespectful (laughs) you can kind of sense what was going on because it makes a little bit more sense if they're not saved you got to reach them so you got to serve the lord and be a good example in front of them but all of a sudden if you start seeing your master worshiping with you it's easy to go you're not treating me well hey preacher tell him he's not treating me well But look at this. If the masters are believers, that's no excuse for being disrespectful. Those slaves should actually work all the harder because their efforts are helping helping other believers. In other words, your master is your brother. That should fire you up to serve the Lord, serve that person harder so that they're blessed. And by the way, they're loved by God too. So, for those of you who are struggling with the rich among us, I want to remind you that the rich white legalist that frustrates the heck out of you is also loved by God. I know there's a lot of us who go, you need to remember we're loved by God. Well, I want you to remind you that they're loved by God, and that's what he's talking about here. Now, I need to put a couple caveats here. If you are being beaten by your husband, you are not to stay there, especially if they're believers. There is a process by which we deal with people's sin in the church. And just because you're married doesn't mean that's not your brother or sister in Christ. So let me turn it over and say, there are a lot of men whose wives are beating them. How do I know that? Because I'm told in secret. There's a lot more spouse abuse than we realize between women and men. If your wife is is beating you, get out. It's the only way they're going to face the dealings of God, and we'll deal with them with you if you're in a situation that is illegal this is not an encouragement to stay in the sex trade there are people watching on the internet that's not what this is about this is not about illegal behavior this is not about abuse and we live in a country that gets you out of that stuff if you don't know where to go you call our office and we'll help you we will help you get out and that includes those of you in this room that are in abusive marriages I will stand with you at the divorce proceedings because they are violating God's mandate to them as a man or a woman of God by doing that to you. And the church and the elder board of this church will deal with them in a biblical Matthew 18 way. And if they don't repent, we will cast them out of this church publicly to remind everybody that you are accountable to God even for your family. Understand? Oh, you're not a very friendly pastor. I thought pastors were fat and jolly. Not all the time. We are fat, but not jolly. I have to say that because somebody's going to come up and tell me, oh, now I know why I need to stay. That's not what I'm talking about. This is actually applies to us because it's about our station in life. There's too many people who are poor longing to be rich, and there's too many rich people who are mad at poor people for not bettering themselves. They are God's servants. Mind your own business. Love each other. It's personal. It's personal. This isn't about people offending you. This is about understanding that that rich guy you work for is also God's servant if they're a child of God. If they're not a child of God, that's your mission field. That person that works for you, if they're a Christian, is God's child and treat them with the respect you would a brother or sister. If they're not God's child, it's your obligation to minister to them. That's their mission field. And by the way, that includes how you fire them. If they need to be fired, you sit down with them and you say, you know, it's not working out. You can't be showing up four hours late to work because you've been out shooting stuff up in your veins all week. So there's two things that are going to happen here today. Number one, I'm going to relieve you of your responsibilities at this job. Number two, tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, I'm going to pick you up and I'm taking you to ADAC. That's what it looks like to do the right thing and love people through it. You're right, they're probably gonna flip you off and leave. Then you pray. And you email them a week later, how can I help? How you doing? Well, I don't wanna do that. That's because you're living for now. I don't wanna keep following up with them. It's not your task, it's not not your decision. It's what we do. It's why when you get bad service at, at Cheddar's, you ask if you can help them, how they're doing, if they're doing okay because that's what we do as aliens and strangers here. We're the freaks. But our freakish behavior is with love and trust of God and understanding that we are called to this thing. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward because we're still taking communion. I know, it's 11 o'clock. Bible study leaders, I'm your authority, submit. just That was a joke. It, it's not funny. You don't need to email. I just rebuked myself. What a perfect place for us to take communion by. Because there's not anybody in this room or any of you at home that wish you weren't in a different position. So here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. I'm asking you to take the next 10 minutes as we do this. And we're going to just move quickly through it. I'm asking you to do what Jesus did for you. I'm asking you to give yourself and your station, slave or boss, Give it to him. Tell him, I understand. You put me in this mission field. I don't like it. It's hard. But I do understand you've called me to this, so I'm going to trust you. Let's go. Why don't you start passing out the elements? I'm going to explain them. This is matzah bread. It is a, it's just a, a Jewish bread that's unleavened. Um, it is part of what they use during the Seder service, the Passover meal, And when Jesus was having Last Supper with the disciples, these guys were familiar with all the elements of the Passover meal. They were little Jews. They had grown up doing this. And at this meal, he takes this for the first time, and he holds this piece of bread up. He says, look, I know you've seen this piece of bread broken every time, and you didn't understand the symbolism. Let me explain. This is my body that's about to be broken for you in the next 48 hours. Now eat it. And Jesus says, look, I know you don't understand this right now, but you're going to understand this very, very soon. You see... When Jesus came, he didn't just come to make people sick well who were sick, and he didn't just come to love people and hug them. He came to save us. And to do that, he had to live among us and experience life as we do, to take the beating, to put off his own will. And and if you don't think Jesus had a different will than his Father, you haven't read the New Testament because he says at least five times, I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of the one who sent me. So Jesus, the man, had a different will than the Father. That's the broken bread. He went before you. He knows what you feel. You have a high priest that is sympathetic to your feelings and frustrations of life because he felt all of them as well. All of them. You're not alone. You can go to him with your anger and your hurt and your frustration and your abuse. You can go to him with that, your sadness, your emptiness. You can go to him with that and he'll go, Dad, you don't understand, that really hurts. Let me tell you how it feels. It's an emptiness. It's, it's scary. It's scary to know that I want something you don't want for me. And I, Father, we need to tell the Holy Spirit to strengthen them. He gets it. That's what the bread is about. He did this for you. And now he's asking you to do this for him. But the good news is for all of you, I'm looking around this room. It's all going to be over in about 40 years. None of you are going to live 40 more years. You're in bad shape, folks. You need to eat better and exercise. That, that's a joke, okay? Trying to lighten up the mood because I want you to understand, we do not put our hope in this life. We put our hope in the next life. And then we can YOLO for the next billion years. But for now, we pick up our cross. We follow him to Calvary. So as you take this at a moment, take it thinking about what he's asking you to do right now. What's he asking you to give up? What's he asking you To trust him with. Maybe for some of you that means you can't have that cell service you want. Or the car you want. Or that you can't go see the movie every weekend. For some of you it means loving somebody you don't like very much. For some of us it's giving up hate for a president we don't like. Or a party that's trying to get him out that you don't respect. You know, you can really live without hate. It's not going to change anything. Who's going to save America if I don't? I assure you, I know most of you, you're not going to save America. Trust the Lord. He'll take care of it. Some of you are laughing, the rest are offended. (laughs) Jesus Christ did not save the nation of Israel. He came to save mankind. To do that, he knew that the Jews would have to hate him. So he did it. And if you wonder if it hurt him, just go back and remind yourself what he did a few hours before his arrest as he sat on the hillside over Jerusalem. What did he do? He prayed and he wept. And remember what he said? Jerusalem. My Jerusalem. If you only would have known why I came and understood it, you would have run to me like chicks run to a hen. Oh, Jerusalem. It bums him out, just like you, that people don't get it. But it didn't deter his passion. And it is in that that I ask you to think about the thing God is asking of you and give it up as you take. Father, thank you for not just telling us what to do, but modeling it for us. In Jesus' name, amen. What's about to be handed out is grape juice. It's the color of blood. That's why we use it. In the New Testament times, they used wine. Uh, we don't use wine in our church because there's people who struggle with alcoholism and it's not a battle we want them to fight in, this, in, in worship. It's as simple as that. It wasn't enough for Jesus to come. And, and, and truthfully, I want to remind you that what we're talking about today is impossible in your flesh. It's only done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And even then, you're going to struggle with it the rest of your life. The struggle for the child of God, we've been talking about this on Wednesday night, is not sin because your sin has been cleansed according to 1 John one nine. The battle for the child of God is trust. It's trusting that God still remembers you when your kid dies. That God's still loving when you lose your job and don't know how you're going to pay the bills that God is still sovereign when the wrong person is elected. That's hard. The good news is, though, that it's not based upon your ability to be good enough. It's on the blood of Christ that there is forgiveness for sin. So having been reminded of where we fall short, I want to remind you of where he doesn't. You are still loved by God. Slave or free, Democrat or Republican, Republican angry or at peace you're not hurting your relationship with God you're hurting your peace you're hurting your joy you ever wonder why there's no joy in the walk with God like talked about in Scripture it might be because you're still living for you and you're frustrated with the experience God will forgive you for an adulterous affair but your wife will not you don't want to lose your marriage stay faithful it's as simple as that you don't want to become an alcoholic What do you do? Don't drink. It's as simple as that. But even if you do, blood of Christ. How cool is that? You can't lose. Even if you're a bad kid, you're still his kid. That's what's awesome about this. That our sin has been forgiven no matter how heinous, how bad, how self-centered we are. Even if you happen to be a selfish disciple like Joseph of Arimathea. Scripture tells us that he was a secret disciple until Jesus died because he didn't want to be cast out of the synagogue. (laughs) That's not a great track record. So I guess you got a choice. You can be Peter hung upside down on a cross you can be Joseph, but still a kid. Still a kid. That's how good God is even when you're not. I don't want you walking out of here going, I'm such a spiritual loser. We all know that. What we forget is how much of a winner he is. We are more than conquerors, those of us hidden in Christ. And by the way, no eye has seen or ear has heard what is awaiting those of us who earnestly seek him this life can stink because the next life is going to be unstinking believable it is going to be epic and nothing like the trinity broadcast network studio it's not going to be all cold and gold and purple robes it's gonna be home 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 is cool. Did I forget to serve you guys the first time? That's because I am a less than good pastor. You have to pay extra for for that service, apparently, at Carpenter's Way. I came on the cheap budget, you know. By the way, it's okay to laugh because there is still no condemnation for those of you who are feeling guilty this morning. That's the cool thing. You only got half the communion, you guys. At least you're getting the most important half, huh? Brothers and sisters, it's good. It's better than we ever imagined. Slave or free. Republican or Democrat. Bad sinner or just bad sinner. It's still good. If by faith you put your hope in God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are hidden in Christ. Take this in remembrance of him. Thank you, Father, for shedding your blood and forgiving us for all of our unrighteousness because we have confessed our sin and you are faithful and you're just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in a few moments. We'll give the elders a second. They're going to go to the doors, uh, take a benevolence offering after communion each time we do this. That's for those in our church who are hurting. That's our uh, way we take our widows and those in need. Bible study is going to start in five minutes. You don't have much time to hug each other, so hug fast. God bless you.